This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey friends and welcome to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith or as we love to call it and you love to call it too, the show that helps you grow. My name is Jason and I'm one of the pastors on the spiritual growth team at Saddleback and today we're joined again by our teaching pastor at Saddleback, Stacy Wood. Stacy, how's your day going today? Hey, it's been a good day so far. Oh good, We, I mean we just had you on last week, we have you on today. You're, you're you're becoming a doable regular. Yeah. Now. Okay. I'm going to multi-appearances. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I, I, we wanted to have you on specifically around this episode because mm-hmm. we're talking about revival. Now, revival is probably, I'm guessing for those of you listening, is a word that you've heard used in the church. Maybe you've heard it more used a lot recently because of things that have been going on recently, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but maybe you don't have a picture of what is meant when we talk about it. And that's what, and that's, I imagine that that might be the case, right? Is this term is used quite a bit in the church, but maybe people don't have an understanding of what it means. So Stacy, would you kind of help people understand what would you say that revival means? If you use the word up on the stage in a church service, Mm -hmm. what is it that you are referring to? Yeah, that's good. Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean um, like when I was growing up and churches would announce that they were going to have a revival meeting. A tent revival. A tent or revival. <laughs> we're bringing in this special revivalist yeah. <laughs> to come and preach for us. And um, I don't think that that is the appropriate usage of the term. Yeah. Um, if you think about the word revive, it means to restore life mm. to something. And so when you think about a spiritual revival, it's that idea of restoring life spiritually to people's spiritual practices, their, their fervor in their relationship with God. It's like a reawakening mm. um, spiritually in people's souls. Um, I think of revival in terms of what happens with Christians, um, that maybe we've kind of fallen asleep a little bit. We've kind of grown cold in our walk with God a little bit. And a revival brings that life back into our relationship with God. I think of a, a slight difference. It's almost a nuance. Maybe it's not super significant, but I, I think of revival more what happens with Christians and a spiritual awakening would be the term I would use for what's happening to the lost when mm. people who are far from God, who have not yet come into relationship with Jesus, when they become Christians in like large scale. And um, sometimes we use the, that word interchangeably, like a revival when a lot of people get saved or become Christians. Um, and I think it's okay to use that word interchangeably, but I think maybe a little bit more precise of a term might yeah. be spiritual awakening for people who are lost that come to faith. And a revival would be someone that they were alive already, but yeah. now they've kind of lost that life. And now it, a, a revival is restoring life to them. No, I think that's a great point because there is there's a clear difference. I mean, there's probably, I'm sure, many differences. One clear difference between somebody who is lost and somebody who is a believer in need of revival is the Holy Spirit still lives in the in the a believer right. who is in need of revival. Right. 
So when we're talking about revival in that case, it's it's more talking about like there's the Holy Spirit yearning for that stronger connection mm-hmm. with God the Father, with Jesus. And there's that outpour that it's almost like that yearning, that calling inside of us right. that's just saying, I want more, I want more. Mm-hmm. And when that relationship is watered in a heavier way Mm -hmm. it's almost like you feel the holy spirit dancing inside of you yeah yeah totally and i think revival it starts on an individual people's hearts but what we tend to see especially in the revivals that are talked about throughout history is that it becomes a collective experience Mm -hmm. where um like there's a unique outpouring of the holy spirit the presence of god onto a group of people and so collectively there's a group of people who are experiencing this fresh awakening inside their soul. Yeah. Um, another another component of revivals often is that it's it gets beyond the walls of the church where there's an awareness of God even in the community at large. Mm. And so it's not just that the church is having something really special going on, that people inside the walls of the church are experiencing like a fresh stirring of the spirit, but even that there's like, an awareness, people driving by on the street, people out doing their jobs. And there suddenly there's an awareness of God that they never experienced something that they weren't even seeking out, but it just became so very real to them. There's a quote by a guy named Duncan Campbell, Mm -hmm. who um, has a history with revivals and documenting revivals, but also participating in some significant movements of God. And he says this, he says, this presence of God is the supreme characteristic of a God sent revival. Hmm. So revival really, it's a, it's just a intense awareness of the manifest presence of God in, in a community, in a group of people, in a church, Um, but that presence of God is the, is the driving force behind the revival. Mm. So a lot of people may have heard or been aware of what was going on a lot in the Christian news circles in the last um, month or two in, in Asbury, Mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Um, I was wondering if, if, uh, for for people who may not be aware, just maybe kind of like, I heard about that a little bit, but I don't know what was going on. Uh, could you provide some context of what was going on or or I should say what we understand about what was happening and because that's been uh, so heavy in the news lately. It has. I mean, even into the New York times, I mean, it is really every news story. Yeah. The news circuit. So um, just a little bit of what I understand that happened was on February 8th, the, the students were gathered just for a regular chapel service um, that, was already originally scheduled. It was just part of their rhythms as a part of being in this school at Asbury. Um, So the chapel service concluded and a few people just felt like they wanted to stay, a few students. So they began to pray together. There was one guy in particular that began to confess some sin in his life. And then there were some other students who had gone to class, but just felt this heaviness, like that they wanted to return back to the chapel. And so they, they did. And then eventually the president sent out an email, a very brief email that was like, hey, there's worship going on in the chapel if you'd like to join us. And from there, it just kind of went. 
and they started having worship and prayer 24 hours a day for multiple days in a row. None of it was planned or scripted. There was um, some teaching, but the, the heavier emphasis was on the prayer and the worship, the confession. Um, it was mostly led by the college students themselves. And they had some advisors that were that were there with them, but most of the people on stage were like 18, 19, 20-year-old yeah. students. And it wasn't anything uh, impressive um, by, by standards of production. Like there was no smoke, there were no lights, even musically, it wasn't um, well-produced or anything. But just the, like I was saying, the presence of God was so thick in that place. And it was, it was overwhelming to, to people who were there and reported about it. So that lasted for actually about 16 days. They, they didn't have 24-hour services after a certain number of days, maybe four or five days, and then they started having scheduled services. But basically, people started coming from all over the place, literally all over the world. People would come. And the, I think the chapel could hold maybe about 1,500 people, but they, they had, I've heard numbers between 50,000 to 100,000 people yeah, I heard the same thing. that descended yeah. on this tiny little town in Kentucky um, to experience what God was doing at this place. Mm. I, one of my favorite parts that I've heard about that is, is the guy who preached the chapel message that kind of started this whole thing off. He, you know, he said afterwards, he's like, I honestly didn't think I did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it, it didn't feel like my strongest message. Yeah. He, I think I heard a story that he sent his wife a text that was just like, like, I didn't, I kind of botched that one. Yeah. Can you just get dinner ready? I'll be, I'll be home soon. Yeah. Some sort <laughs> of message illustration around yeah. how God can use what anything yes, to, exactly. to, uh, you know, to stir his purposes. Um, I, again, I, and that's been such a remarkable story because it's in, uh, I, I love how God plays like eight dimensional chess, you know, is like uh. this thing was happening, not just in the lives of these individuals, mm-hmm. But in the community, or at the school, I should say, in the lives of individuals, at the school, mm-hmm. which the school is trying to figure out, what do we do? We're supposed to have classes, but we don't want to deter people from doing this, you know? And then to the community, mm-hmm. and then to the nation, mm-hmm. and then to the world. Like, God was using this, and he's like, you don't even know what I have planned. And we do not know everything that God has or has been doing, has already done right. as a result of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to to try to get a little bit more specifics, and maybe we don't have specifics, mm-hmm. but to at least talk about a little yeah. bit in terms of like the traits or characteristics that we typically would relate to a revival. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the manifestation, the felt <laughs> a presence of God. Yep. Um, are there other sorts of traits or characteristics that we could liter- um, that are usually associated with a revival? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I recently read a book called Revival Fire hmm. um, by a guy named Wesley DeWall, and he is outlining revivals throughout human history, throughout church history, 
And it was such an interesting book to read because I was kind of looking exactly for what you were just asking about. Like, are there, are there characteristics or is it, what can I glean? What can I learn from the, these movements of God? And one aspect of it is revival is a sovereign act of God. Yeah. It, he is pouring out his spirit in a fresh way. And it's not something that we can contrive or demand or plan for. Um, but there are things that we can do to prepare for it. Um, and there are certain characteristics that seem consistent throughout various revivals. So one thing I noticed is that prayer is always central to revivals. And it's even prayer leading up to the revival that so many times before people will see a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there will have been people that have been praying for months or years, um, just prevailing in prayer and and leaning into um, to this desire for more of God. So that is it. That's probably the most central component of every revival that I read was how there would be a prayer burden is what it was often called in this mm. book. Another one is um, a sense of like deep conviction of sin mm. and a desire to confess and to be made right with God to to rid yourself of impurity and sin because you become more aware of the holiness of God when you're in his presence. And so um, even in the Asbury revival, that was one of the big components um, where it was just the students coming forward and confessing sin over and over, um, not always publicly, but in a way that would be like just one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with maybe a spiritual mentor or leader there at the university. And so that's very consistent that people will be struck with just a deep conviction of sin. Um, another one that's pretty consistent is the, just the vibrant heartfelt worship um, and like a loss of time. Um, yeah. Just that you could, in a regular church service, maybe you're kind of bored after 15 minutes <laughs> of singing, but in, when, when a spirit of revival is there, like you kind of just lose track of time and it feels like you could, you could do this all day. Mm. Um, another couple of things that I've noticed was that there seemed to be like a unity among Christians, like, like across churches uh, regionally, that there was not the same dividing lines of, you know, I go to this church or I'm a part of this denomination, but just a, a unifying effect on the Christians. And then, obviously, a massive ingathering of new believers, of, of the lost coming to faith. Um, so an ingathering of lost souls. Mm. Um, one thing is for sure, though, <laughs> I saw this over and over again as I was reading through these different revivals, that if it comes, it's going to be messy and it's going to be disruptive mm. to our current plans and our structures. You, you can't contain a revival. Like mm. if it's, it's a supernatural thing. Yeah. And so it's going to disrupt everything that, that you already have set out for, you know, your timelines or your plans. Even at Asbury, they literally canceled classes <laughs> yeah. for, for over two weeks um, because of this revival. And, um, and so it's going to disrupt life and we have to make room for that. I think what really stands out to me as you're uh, listing off some of these uh, common characteristics is just how really um, Holy Spirit driven they are. Mm. You preached recently in your message at Saddleback on the sword and the spirit. 
you know, how, how, how we need to live in, or we should strive to live in the middle of that spectrum between it being just a, a, a Bible th- mm-hmm. thumping church and a only spirit focused church. And there's this middle, mm-hmm. um, on the spirit side though, mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, it's, it's, it's often kind of thought of as like the mysterious member of the Trinity. Right. And there's just, it, it feels like this, uh, don't know a whole lot, mm-hmm. but the things that we do know about the Holy spirit, the things that are pretty clear from scripture is it's all of those markers of revival are spirit driven, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. it's the Holy Spirit that can drive us into prayer, into talking right. with God the Father through Jesus as the intercessor. Yes, and it is the Holy Spirit who who urges us to cleanse the temple of our body for God through confession. Mm-hmm. And it is the Holy is the work of the Spirit that is that outpouring. This is that movement of God across, mm-hmm. um, uh, across barriers mm-hmm. to make unity because the Holy Spirit operates as a unified right. body, a unified person of the Trinity mm-hmm. and it, it, breaking down those barriers that we put up again, you know, between us and other Christians, between our brothers and sisters. That's not what the Holy Spirit likes. The Holy Spirit's like, I, we are one. We are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. All, uh, all, all, each and every one of us, a temple of the spirit living in us. Right. And there's something when we start to name, I think the work and power of the Holy spirit that goes into revival, I think that can create a little bit of extra, almost excitement. Like mm-hmm. I, I want that. Like, yes. yes, the Holy spirit lives in me, but I don't think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. But when I think about that and I think about it in terms of what can happen through revival, mm-hmm. that gives me almost a little bit more sense of, hey, the Holy Spirit lives in me. That's really yeah. neat. That's really cool. Right. Yeah, totally. I think what you're talking about is it's so true that that as the Holy Spirit stirs up inside of us, he actually can put in our hearts desires and burdens for things that we don't currently have desires or burdens yeah. for. And so maybe for you to pray for five minutes straight feels like burdensome or like I can't do that. But man, the Holy Spirit has the capacity to give, to make you into this prayer warrior that loves to pray and you can't stop praying because you just feel so burdened to pray. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so whenever there's an area in me that in, like cognitively, cerebrally, I want to align more with God in a certain area, but actually in my heart, I don't really want it bad enough. Then a lot of times my prayer will be, Holy Spirit, will you form that in me? Like mm-hmm. form in me a desire to pray, form in me a passion for your word. And that is the, it's, it's mysterious. It's supernatural the way that the Holy Spirit does that inside of us. But it, it truly is the work of God um, that is moving and changing us and changing circumstances around us. Yeah, what comes to my mind is is my favorite chapter of the Bible is John 15. I've talked about that number uh-huh. of times on this show. Okay. <laughs> Abiding in Christ. Yes, that's, that's like my favorite topic, uh-huh. my favorite like um, a picture of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And this just seems to ring so true in that arena mm-hmm. of when we are we are fully connected in the vine when we are truly abiding, when right. we are connected, then 
it's almost like it's only, so if you think about a plant, it needs to have that firm connection mm-hmm. so that the leaves, that the pieces of the vine can receive the nutrients from the roots or from wherever the source is right. of that certain plant that is gaining those nutrients. Mm-hmm. And for us, that is that is Jesus. Right. I am the vine and you are the branches. Mm-hmm. But it goes through the Holy Spirit in us is what is connected right. to that vine, you know, to, to the vine. We are the branch. It is the spirit in us that who lives in us that is connected. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just love that idea of w- there are lots of things in our lives that kind of make our connection less firm, less tight, yeah, yeah. and we get less because we're so focused on other things. Mm-hmm. We get distracted. We make wrong choices, sit, and all that, all these things. Mm-hmm. But it's when we, because it, you can feel that there's a there's a sense within you, which is the Holy Spirit telling you. There's that sense of I'm feeling really close mm. to Jesus right now. Yeah. And what that is, is that's that connection. It's like, that's what that is. Right. That That's that abidingness. That's that vine and branches right. is in is in sync. It's in unison at that time. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think that I've had a lot of frustration in my Christian walk of feeling like I, I want to be better at that. Yeah. Like I want to, I want to be more loving. I want to have the fruit of the spirit more. I, sure. Like there are all these different markers of obedience to God and Christian living that I want to hit. And I feel so frustrated in my own ability to do that. And I, I try so hard and like I read the Bible, I memorize scripture about areas of struggle and still it, it feels so frustrating. But one concept that has really helped me mentally to make a shift around this is the concept of of yielding mm-hmm. to the Holy Spirit. And the transformation internally in my heart isn't coming from my own efforts of trying so much so hard to be better or to be more loving or to be more patient, but it's really a matter of yielding to what the spirit is already producing inside of me. And, um, it, that, that mental shift for me, it, it took, like, I guess I just had my, my hands like white knuckled to the steering wheel or to the plow or whatever it was that I, I've got to do this. And it kind of left me with open hands to say, I'm, I'm yielding to what you're doing. And to me, it just, it was just a subtle shift. It did, it wasn't even that the change in my actions were all that different it was a mindset shift for me of that it's the holy spirit inside of me that's producing the fruit and my role in all of this is to not grieve him and just to yield to him to get out of his way and to allow him to do the work yeah i love that picture you talked a little bit about about that we've seen revivals play out in the past. Is there, is there one that you can share with us a little bit specifically around? I think it's helpful for people to realize, like, especially if, if you've just heard about this Asbury one from more recent, to know that revival has been a thing throughout history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so fascinating to me, just this topic of, um, of outpourings of the Holy Spirit and like, where it happened and yeah. when it happened and who it happened with and what did it look like? I, I just have a real fascination with it all. Oh, yeah. One of the stories is um, comes out of the Hebrides, okay. which is a group of islands that I had never even heard of before because they're these tiny little islands off the coast of Scotland. 
Sounds yeah. like a vacation destination. <laughs> but you would have to be willing to travel for a long time to get there because it is such an obscure place. I'm yeah. sure it's gorgeous, um, but it's just very far off the beaten path. It's not this like hugely influential metropolitan yeah. city center. You know, that's not where God God chose to show up there. Mm. But um, just in this remote area, it happened back in um, the mid-1900s. Um, but... The story goes that there was a letter that was sent out to a bunch of churches in this particular denomination and basically kind of addressing the state of affairs and the for their current reality that the things were not going well, um, that the younger generation was completely disconnected from the church, um, that you know, there was so much sin in, in the community and there was no, no spiritual life. And the letter exhorted all the people that were there who were probably mostly old people yeah. um, to pray and to take this matter into consideration to seek God on behalf of, um, of this problem. And so there were a couple of people, at least, that took it very seriously. There was a sis, uh, two sisters, one 81 years old and one 84 years old, and they began to pray in their own little cottage. The 84-year-old was blind. There was very little that they had to offer to contribute to society um, by, by just looking in from the outside. But they said, we are going to pray. And so they, they did, they fervently would pray together for God to do something in this new generation that was coming up that was so disconnected from him. So one of the sisters had a vision in one of her prayer times that of the church being filled with young people. And she said to her sister, I think that God is going to send revival. But the interesting thing was there were literally no young people mm. in the church at the time. Like it was totally an act of faith for her to even say that out loud. So she went to the minister and she told him about her prayers and this vision that she had. And he just said to her, like, well, what should we do? And she said, you need to gather the elders and the leadership and begin praying and contending for this. And my sister and I will do the same. And she said, you know, at least a couple nights a week, get together and just seek the Lord and wait on him. And so um, the minister did that. Um, he gathered together some other elders, and, and they would meet in this barn um, two times a week. They would meet for hours um, at nighttime. They would go till like 2 or 3 in the morning and pray. And, and the sisters were doing the same thing in their home. And, um, and they did this for months. It was, this was not just like a couple of times that they gathered to pray for this revival. And one night, um, one, of the, one of the prayers that they were praying over and over comes from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. And it says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And so they, they continue to pray that those verses, Lord, would you pour out water on this thirsty land? There, this ground is so dry. Would you bubble up streams that will, will water and bless these young people? And sure enough, 
this revival broke out. It started right there in the prayer meeting with just these men that were seeking God, and the Holy Spirit just fell in power upon them. And, and then like we were talking about earlier in the podcast, this sense of the presence of God just fell on, on the whole island. And uh, people started just out of nowhere showing up for church. Like there, there would be 600 people that would just show up at the church building and they would, ho- they would hold services. And people were so um, just taken in, captured by the presence of God, by a deep sense of repentance and conviction um, people were were getting saved. Young people were were coming to faith left and right. People not even in the church, but out in in a field or on a road, would just be taken in by the by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit that would just fall on them. And they, you would find people on the side of the road kneeling down, asking God for help, or in a kitchen. Um, there'd be women gathered, and they would just be praying. And so there was so much ministry that took place. This revival lasted about four years. Um, and and the Duncan Campbell, he came and, and he would travel around to um, different areas on the Hebrides. And just over and over again, the spirit would, would pour, it would be poured out and people would be saved. Um, there would be just a fresh stirring. There were so many people that, that were called into like missions work or um, they would start writing um, worship songs, different things uh, uh, that came out of this revival. But it was just, it was such a, a supernatural thing that could not have been planned for. There was no strategic leadership gift yeah. that could have accomplished <laughs> this. It was clearly the working of God, the Holy mm. Spirit. Mm. And again, we'd encourage anybody to go and read up on some of these revivals from history. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try to find an, an article specifically around this one to link in the show notes so that people can read up a little bit even more mm-hmm. around that one. This is something you, I, I know we've kind of touched on throughout the whole episode, but I think making it a little bit more clear and just answering this directly. Why do we want to seek revival? Mm. I, uh, I read a great quote by a guy named Pete Gregg. He's, a, he's in the UK, um, leads a prayer movement there. But he had this line that says, the vision is Jesus. Our vision is not revival. It's the reviver. It's not prayer. It's the person of Christ. Hmm. And so the reason that we seek revival is not just so that we can say we were a part of this really exciting movement yeah. um, that we can all point back to at history and say, I was a part of that. that. That's not at all the heart here. The heart is that we want more of God and that we are seeking Jesus and his power in our lives and his salvation for the, our community and um, and so I think that that is really the why behind we would why we would want to seek it. I know that it's so easy to become like obsessed and curious about the supernatural, and then that can actually become the driving motivator for why we would seek something like this out. Yeah. But it's so much greater than that. It's it's the person of Jesus that has the power to change a life for all eternity. And he is the one that's worthy of worship and honor and praise. And so um, 
seeking more of him is really the heart behind the revival. Mm, that's good. It, are there are there things that people can do that we can do that it would help set the stage for revival to happen? Mm. Yes, for sure. Um, there's a verse in Psalm chapter 24 that says, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So this concept of how, how can we get to higher heights in our relationship with God and, and how can we ascend this mountain of, of becoming closer to him, more intimate with him? And it, there, there's this element of consecration of ourselves that it's the one who has a clean heart clean hands and a pure heart. And ultimately we know that it's the blood of Jesus that makes us righteous in the eyes of God, that because of him, we have clean hands and a pure heart. But we also as Christians have a a role and a responsibility to play in living holy lives before God, living lives that honor God and searching ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to search us to say, is there is there any offensive way in me? And being willing to repent of that and to come clean before him so that our there's no blockage in the flow of our relationship. So I think confession and consecration is a, a key part of um, seeking revival, a spirit like a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then obviously prayer. Um, and prayer is one of those things where it's a commitment, and and sometimes you feel really drawn to prayer. You feel very motivated, like you you have to pray. But then other times it's like oh, I don't really, I'm not feeling it today, mm-hmm. and it's like a choice that you have to make. But there's a there's a devotion there of um, of being willing to say I I want this so badly that even on days that I don't feel like praying, I'm going to commit to contending in prayer, prevailing in prayer, because I believe that, man, if if God would answer this prayer, that it would change everything. And so prayer and how we do that, gathering with people, starting prayer groups, it could, it could be a variety of ways, but I think prayer is central. And then um, the last thing I would say is just this desperation for it, like how bad do you really want it? Are you willing to persist in prayer for a month or a year? Are you, are you willing to give up sleep for it? Or how badly do you want it? John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, has a message series called God Comes Where He's Wanted. And he said, you know, why did God show up in the Hebrides instead of a <laughs> different city that would have been more influential? Even in Scotland, why not go to like, I don't know, what's the cities there? Eden, Eden, Edinburgh or something? Edinburgh. I, yeah. yeah. Okay, like like a, a, even a more influential city there in that country. Uh, why did he show up in this very remote island? And it's like God came where he was wanted. There were people that were hungry and desperate for revival. They were praying. They were contending into the night, um, asking God to move. And so... I, will, I want to read this quote from one of the sisters of the Hebrides Revival. And she says to the minister um, that asked her, what should we do? She said, give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to waiting upon God. Get your elders and deacons together 
and spend at least two nights a week waiting upon God in prayer. If you will do that at your end of the parish, my sister and I will do it at our end of the parish from 10 o'clock at night until 2 or 3 in the morning. That's a commitment. That is someone who is desperate to see God move. I think it sounds like a big factor in this is um, being genuine in your desire and your desperation and your your want for more of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That in... You touched on this earlier, but I think it's worth repeating. It's not it's not trying to have this experience for the sake of experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not trying to be able to prop yourself up to say, I, w- I was a part of this. I, d- I felt this. I experienced this. Um, but w- what it genuinely is, is that when you have a desire, and I think it's helpful for people to hear that it's okay to want more of Jesus. It's okay to yeah. seek those those higher highs that you were talking about a little bit earlier yeah. of and it and again it's not just to, it's not trying to seek the high of an experience. Mm-hmm. It's seeking that that feeling with Jesus, that that bond with Jesus, mm-hmm. that that closeness, that proximity and by proximity you just feel more of everything because that's the life that Jesus calls us to is this abundant life, this John 10, 10 life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this is. It's, it's, it's a taste of that abundance. Yes. Yes. Mm. So good. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there is a joy that comes from being in the presence of God and that that is even hearing reports from the Asbury experience, um, that that was a, something that people felt when they were there, that there was a sense of peace um, and a deep sense of abiding joy because we, there's a verse that says that you fill me with joy and the fullness of joy is in your presence. And um, so the, the abundant life that you're talking about, it's, it's found in Christ. And the closer we get to Christ, man, that, we come more and more alive, more and more true to ourselves. The people that God originally created us to be, aside from the fall, aside yeah. from sin, if, if we were within perfect union of God, we would experience perfect peace and, and just ultimate joy. And I think that the revival experience of, of, it, of having the presence of God in your midst like that it gets you closer to that. It, it allows you to taste it. What what that perfect peace and that fullness of joy is really like. And it, and again, it's 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 not just about about the doing because that's you know that's where we look at the Pharisees. They could mm-hmm. obey the law and follow the law to the letter, right. but they missed the forest for the trees mm-hmm. in that they missed that it's about. Jesus. It's about this relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is the driving point to go back to the very beginning of what we talked about is that is the driving element in all of that is our relationship with God, right. our relationship with Christ. Right. Um, I, I know on the counter side of revival is skepticism of revival. For sure. <laughs> For yeah. any revival, there's Skeptics on the other side. Mm-hmm. How should we uh, approach 
skepticism. So if we, you know, free, if we heard of another revival happening, mm-hmm. uh, given that we're a bit removed now from, from Asbury, mm-hmm. if there was another one that popped up when we started hearing about it, mm-hmm. how should we as, as Christians kind of approach hearing of revival happening? Yeah. You know, that's a fine line to walk because you don't want to be taken in by deceptive teaching, false, false teaching. Um, and you don't want to be taken in by some emotionalism that yeah. isn't rooted in truth. Um, so there is validity to weighing um, the, the circumstances and, and trying to discern mm-hmm. if it's truly the Spirit of God. Um, I think it is, I don't know, for, for me, when I, when I was seeing different people though, like on blogs or social media posts that were like skeptical or trying to pick apart, um, what the spirit of God was doing at Asbury, for me, it was just very off-putting because I was thinking, man, you're missing it. Like you're trying to pick apart a supernatural thing that that it can't be explained and you're not going to be able to contain it. And do you want to be on the inside of it or the outside of it, like criticizing it with a clipboard? And that's just not the posture that I ever want to take when it comes to a movement of God. So if, if I was to, to be a part of something like that, my posture would be um, an openness God, what is it that you want to do in me right now? Um, and then also a mindfulness of the word of God. And is, is all of this in alignment with what I know to be true of God through scripture? And so there might be things that are surprising to me, like maybe I've never seen the Holy Spirit manifested in that particular way. Um, but... So, so I can still have an openness. There is always more of God than what I currently understand. That yeah. is just a fact. Yes. But if it's in alignment, if it's not in contradiction with what I know that the Bible teaches to be true, then, um, then I think that there can be an openness to just new expressions of the Holy Spirit. I think that it's important as well to, um, to just enter with humility And um, when you see, like at Asbury, for example, there was such a humility. There was nothing showy about it. There was nothing, there were no, there were no celebrities there. And it was all about making the name of Jesus, the one name that was great in that place. When you have that kind of posture, it's like, well, this is probably authentic when the name of Jesus is being lifted up like this. And so I, I would just say, when it comes to maybe holding things at arm's, arm's length, um, there, it is appropriate, very appropriate for us to be mindful about anything that could be false teaching or heresy. But at the same time, that, that posture has to be held in check with a humility and an openness to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the present generation. That's great. Last question I have for you, unless something else pops up in my head, <laughs> as things tend to. <laughs> so we've been we've been talking about revival as a church. It's it's something that you and Andy both bring into conversations and 
um, and talk about it in messages from the stage. How would we know if we were in one? Um, I think it'll be obvious. <laughs> I think it's, after everything we've been talking about, yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds like it'd be, yeah. it'd be felt. So I think that there's different levels of, um, of spiritual life and there's like a kind of a deadness, a dead zone where there's not much new life occurring that there, you know, it's very much by the, the rhythms and routines and people doing things by rote, um, out of, out of, um, tradition or whatever. And so there's like that extreme. And then if you were to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, there is this spiritual awakening and revival, um, that is sweeping a whole region, not just a church. And, um, so yeah, there, there's those two extremes on the spectrum and there's everything in between. And so there's a warming up of spiritual life and there can, there can be like a fresh sense of vibrancy in a certain group of people at the church, like our young adults here at Saddleback sure. are really starting to gain vibrancy right now. And, and God's doing something special among our young adults. Um, but then like that can spread to become more of a collective experience church-wide. Um, and so I think that you can have like taste of um, more of a, the manifest presence of Jesus in your midst, um, like at our our worship nights, for example. Yeah. And there, there's just such a tangible sense of the presence of God there. And so we have these different experiences that are like, they're like foretaste of what's to come or or um, little little snippets, little glimpses of the goodness of God poured out on us. I think that revival is a is a much broader and more powerful experience. It's it's like something that can't be resisted almost to the point that um, that people that are so far from God that just seem like man, there's it feels like there's no hope for that guy, <laughs> but but just like brought to his knees. Mm almost beyond his control because he's under such deep conviction from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like that's a different level than just a fresh like vibrancy within a church. So I think that uh, if we were ever to get to that level of like, <laughs> this is like a historic revival, yeah. but like a spiritual awakening in Orange County or wherever we are, um, we would know it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that there's, all levels of, of spiritual renewal that can occur that can lead us more towards being ready for that. Hmm. Well, thank you for your time today, Stacy, and thank you for just your your heart and wisdom behind this topic. I, I think it's one that's been on a lot of people's minds. I've talked to a lot of people and I've mentioned, hey, I, I'm thinking of doing this episode and they were like, yes, please, we want to hear more that's about great. this. So I know there's there's a hunger and a thirst and that's 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 the sign of everything that we've been talking about. So Absolutely, yeah. My, my last word is just, let's believe for it together as a church. Let's pray for it. Let's be willing to... Um, humble ourselves before God and contend on behalf of this generation that God would do it again in our day. Speaking of praying for it, would you pray for for us, for Stacey? I would love to. Father, we are um, so hungry to experience more of you. 
more of your power and your presence in our midst. Not just here within the walls of Saddleback Church or our campuses or other sister churches around the world, but Lord, beyond the walls of the church, into our communities, people that we love, that we rub shoulders with, but they don't know you. Father, that's, that's the spiritual awakening that we long for, is to see you come and to, to awaken people who are currently spiritually dead. And so, Father, would you, would you pour your spirit out on us in this generation? My heart is so broken for Gen Z and Gen Alpha that are coming up right now and so spiritually um, disconnected from you. There's so much confusion, so much pain, anxiety, and depression. And Lord, they're, they're the most unchurched and dechurched generation that America has ever seen. So Father, we beg of you that you would intervene here, that you would come with power and do what we're not capable of doing in and of ourselves, that you would redeem a generation, that not only would would you awaken them, but that they would begin to lead the way spiritually in this country. Lord, I pray for the global impact that this could have. Lord, there are, there are stirrings of revival all over the world. Your spirit is at work. And so, God, we ask you, in the mighty name of Jesus, that you would pour your spirit out upon us. I think about that verse from Isaiah 44 that says that you will pour water on the thirsty land. Lord, we are so thirsty. Would you pour yourself out on us? In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.